Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 14th of March, 2021. Happy Monday. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Action-packed program, as always. We'll get to the action as quickly as possible. Just want to remind you to go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast so you can enter to win our contests, the uh, winner of which I will announce at the end of this program. Who, which book versus John, John Cleese? Versus Ben Carson. Who wins that rumble? Corn Pop wins. That's right. No, you win. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. And then you'll find out which books are up for grabs this week. All right. Uh, you can email me, DerekAllenHunter at gmail.com. Thanks to everybody for the kind notes on the uh, Week in Evan Review. Hope you enjoyed that. If you haven't, I don't know what you're waiting on. Get, get with the program. And, uh, yeah, Barack Obama has COVID, they say. I didn't, did he? Now, did he get it from kissing Oprah's butt, or did Oprah give him from kissing his butt? I don't know. It's tough to say. But uh, I think that the polite society and Martha's Vineyard would be most upset. I guess COVID, maybe Barack Obama wasn't out there for justice or something. I hope he gets well. But uh, I'm so sick of these hypocrites. Anyway, we've got a lot of things to get to. And then at the end, the contest. So let's get started. We've got a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time. We're eastbound and down. Just watch old bandit run. It, uh, we've got some amazing audio for you we, <laughs> since we last spoke. So much has changed. So much of the world is now different. And uh, it's, it's a little bit crazy. I want to start off, you know, instead of Ukraine, there's plenty to talk about in Ukraine. We'll talk about the uh, Ukrainian situation and, good God, the media is just terrible. They want to know, well, what, what's a red line? Please set a red line. I'm not sympathetic to Joe Biden, but they, the media, yes, they're biased. Yes, they're wildly biased on behalf of Democrats, but they also just suck. They also just suck. I'll explain that. Coming up, it is um, one of those things. <clears throat> but I want to start off with the, the uh, Jussie Smollett saga it has finally come to a head. Finally come to a he's now going to uh, he's got to do 150 days, 150 days in, in the pokey, which is about five months, not quite five months, but about five months, which isn't yeah he was facing like up to 3 years for each one of the counts that he was convicted of but he was never going to face three, you know I don't support him getting 3 years for each of those counts I don't think he deserves 3 years I well actually I think he probably deserves it I don't think it warrants 3 years what he did was wildly stupid damaging dumb his life is going to be forever altered unless and until he'll be one of those guys who will do cameos in I don't know scream movies or scream scream mock movies like the the attempt that this generation sadly has to try to do a Zucker Abram Zucker movie did the airplane top secret which is wildly underrated by the way top secret and uh all the other movies that they um uh, you know that ilk naked gun and stuff like that <clears throat> hot shots those guys did those movies, and now there are people trying to do movies like that, and they suck. They can't do it because they're not allowed to be funny. So they end up just doing really dumb, childish things. 
he'll end up being cameos in that. Then maybe eventually he'll come back. I don't know. I don't know if the guy's talented or not. Uh, he wasn't a very convincing liar. So what are you going to do? But he uh, he got, like I say, five months, three years probation. Listen to the judge here in the sen- as the sentence is announced. It's actually kind of generous. I understand it. Nobody was killed. Yeah, he's it caused Chicago to have to spend a lot of money, waste a lot of time. He uh, helped divide this country even further, but he's a Democrat, so he was already helping divide this country even further. It's just one of those things where you're sitting there going, this seems about right, although part of you goes, I hope they throw the book at him. The judge announcing this, uh, the judge did go off, call him arrogant and all sorts of things. I I don't know that people need to be chastised while they're being sentenced, but I thought it was funny. I'm not going to play it, but I thought it was funny. But here's the actual announcement of uh, the sentence. You let that dark, narcissistic, selfish, and arrogant side come out, and you persisted with it for years on this case. I'm fashioning the following sentence, and here's your sentence. I'm sentencing you to... 30 months felony probation, and the probation is going to be to this court. You're going to be allowed to travel wherever you want. You do not have to live in the state of Illinois. You can report by phone. I know that uh, if you're going to try to make a living and do some of the things you do, you may have to go to uh, other uh, places, New York and Los Angeles. You can do those things. You will pay restitution to the city of Chicago in the amount of $120,106. You are fined. $25,000, which is the maximum fine, and you will spend the first 150 days of your sentence in the Cook County Jail, and that will start today, right here, right now. Now, it's a hate crime hoax. These need to be punished. I'm glad this was punished. Most of the time, what do you hear? You say, well, the investigation discovered that it was uh, the person who discovered the uh, racist graffiti was also the one with the cans of uh, spray paint that were used to create the racist graffiti. Wow. I, I just remember the famous, well, one of the so many famous cases. I wrote about a ton of them in my book. The uh, case in Silver Spring, Maryland here, where on a church, after Trump was elected, somebody spray-painted like uh, gay slurs. And guess who, because you look at a church and what do you immediately think? Gay slurs, Right. And so they discovered the person who discovered these gay slurs just happened to be the gay organist at the uh, the church. Like, oh, that's pretty coincidental. The like the person most likely to be offended by this these things you're going to paint happens to discover it, not you know the priest or whatever. I forget what the congregation of the church was. But like, no, and it wouldn't just be random people. It would just be this person. That's where, and then it turned out, oh yeah, oopsie, that guy, uh, that guy did it. He confessed. And he confessed because, if I remember correctly, and I usually do, he confessed because he was trying to illustrate a point. He was trying to raise the issue. That's what I, that's one of my favorite things when leftists on college campuses go, oh yeah, I did it, but I was just trying to draw attention to the issue. Yeah, because, you know, Racism and homophobia, both in air quotes there, those don't get enough attention in this country. There's one thing that just needs some more oxygen blown onto it. It's racism and homophobia, because otherwise the, the leftist media just ignores those things. 
part of the problem is these college campuses are uh, just festering you know, uh, pots of pressure cookers of lies. They say, well, everywhere. This is a fundamentally, it's a fundamentally racist country founded on racism. You can't escape the racism. You got to fight it everywhere you see it. Microaggressions, macroaggressions, uh, macaroni and cheese aggressions, every kind of aggression you can possibly imagine. Come on, do this, that, and the other thing. You got to fight it, fight it, fight it. All these these people with tenure whose lives are never changed by the uh, douchebaggery they impact on and impose on people. And they go, go now, go get them. And the kids go out on campus and they go, I shall find the people who are perpetrating this racism and sexism and homophobia and Islamophobia and everything, I will find these people and I will expose them and run them off campus. And then they look around and they can't find it. They can't. Now they know because they've been told by people in authority that this is prevalent. This is everywhere. You can't get away from it. So where is it? So apparently it's everywhere, but it's very, very good at camouflage. So they then write on their own dorm room doors or their friends' dorm room doors in the middle of the night these stupid, hateful things. They go, oh, now when we wake up in the morning, we shall have something to rally behind. See you in the quad, ladies. That's not what Jesse Smollett did. That's what happens on college campuses. Jesse Smollett wanted to raise. And he thought, well, if I could raise my profile. And boy, howdy, did he raise his profile? Even, you know, yes, of course, it was not in the way that you want your profile raised. But before he was exposed as a fraud, he was getting some serious support from people. Joe Biden, January 29th, 2019, the front runner for the Democratic Party's nomination for president at the time. Quote, what happened today to Jussie Smollett must never be tolerated in this country. We must stand up and demand that we no longer give this hate safe harbor, that homophobia and racism have no place on our streets or in our hearts. We are with you, Jesse. <laughs> Joe Biden. Not addressed it since then, I believe. I don't think he addressed it at the time. There's no way in hell that this old SOB knows who Jesse Smollett is. He was not a fan of empire. I guarantee you that. He's a fan of law and order reruns. But he's not a fan of Empire. But he's out there. We're with you, Jesse. We're with you, Jesse. I'd love to see somebody ask Joe Biden, so what did you think of the Jesse Smollett situation? And watch his eyes cross as the little hamster running in the wheel in his head is going, what the hell is a Jesse Smollett? Run faster. Run faster. And then you'll have another uh, Pope pants moment and waddle away. We're with you. It can never happen. It didn't happen in this country. It... Uh, Jesse Smollett was uh, beaten up by two Trump supporters in Chicago in the middle of the night is uh, just about as real as you taking on corn pop. But it wasn't just Joe, the bottom of the ticket, literally the bottom of the ticket. Kamala Harris, the same day, it was a funny thing watching all the Democrats running for president at the time scramble like, oh, I can't be the last one to tweet my support for Jussie Smollett, that roving band of Trump supporters in Chicago beating up gay black dudes. They found the only two Trump supporters in all of the greater Chicagoland area who not only love the president, but are out when it's like 20 degrees below zero at three o'clock in the morning, just hanging outside a Subway sandwich shop that's 24 hours, just in case 
a dude, a black dude, a gay black dude from a TV show nobody watches shows up as a hankering for a you know a foot long BMT. We're gonna be ready to beat up Jussie Smollett. It's totally believable. I actually I lost a grandma that way. I shouldn't joke about it. But good God. But Kamala Harris took to her Twitter account. Jussie Smollett is one of the kindest, most gentle human beings I know. I'm praying for his quick recovery. This was an attempted modern-day lynching. No one should ever have to fear for their life because of their sexuality or color of their skin. We must confront this hate. Uh, Nobody did have to fear for either of those reasons, Kamala, because it was a fraud. This is who you Democrats rally around. Now, after his, uh, this this is where it gets funny in the courtroom. After his sentence was announced, the judge asked Jesse if he had anything to say. At the beginning, I, I had to tweak the audio. I had to raise the volume of it. So it, it sounds a little weird. There's a kind of his thing at the beginning of this. And then he starts to speak up. It's an editing thing. But Jesse Smollett is really riding his victim train all the way to the Cook County Jail, where he resides today. But this is a hell of a, a thing here. Because as he walks out of the out of the courtroom, he's got his fist raised up, like resist or uh, black power or whatever. Like, give me a break, dude! You perpetrated a massive fraud. You're a phony, but you're gonna. I guess once you're pot committed, once you shove all your your chips into the middle of the table, you gotta present that uh, seven queen as if it's a royal flush, don't you? That's what Jussie kind of does. Uh, and maybe he's afraid that these Democrats, since they uh, they took out Jeffrey Epstein, you know, Democrat in good standing until he suddenly wasn't in good standing. Since they uh, took out Jeffrey Epstein, maybe they were going to take him out. So he just wanted to be on record that he is not, not considering that. Here's Jussie Smollett. Do you have any questions? No, I would just like to say to your honor that I am, uh, I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. Okay. I am not suicidal. I am innocent, and I am not suicidal. If I did this, then it means that I stuck my fist in the fears of black Americans in this country for over 400 years, and the fears of the LGBTQ community. Your Honor, I respect you, and I respect the jury, but I did not do this, and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself, and you must all know that. I respect you, Your Honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not suicidal. Okay. That sounds like somebody who's suicidal to me. I'm just saying. (laughs) He's got to be scared to death. Maybe not Joe, but uh, Kamala. I assume Hillary tweeted about him at some point. That's the one you really don't want to cross. Oh, geez. Sorry, Hillary. Uh, No, that's that's all right, Jesse. Lay back down. And uh, here, let me help you with that pillow. I know you don't. Uh, there's a new way of sleeping with the pillow right over your face. It uh, it keeps you young looking. In fact, it freezes you forever, right? Exactly as you are. Let me help you with that. 
I am not suicidal. I am not suicidal. Dude, you're so melodramatic, okay? Now I can see why, you know, the only person who would beat you up is you. Why you'd want to beat your own ass. I can't blame you for that. If I was <laughs> as big of a drama queen as you, I'd want to take me out back and go, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go punch myself in the face. Although, apparently, he told the Nigerian brothers that he'd hired not to hit him too hard in the face. The face is the moneymaker. <laughs> He'll be missed by uh, somebody. Probably, I'm assuming. His grandmother also asked, or maybe it was his, no, it was his grandmother, also asked, if you're going to send him away, send me away with him. They should have done that. I'd, lo- I'd love to see one of these cases where, like, if you send him to prison, send me with him. And the judge goes, all right, you both get, uh, you both get five months. What? No, I was just trying to get in his good grades, trying to score a better position in the will. I don't want to... No, no, no. So, yeah, he'll be missed by somebody, probably. Jesse Smollett. The streets of Chicago are safer today. Uh, the Nigerian... I don't even know what the Nigerian brothers are doing these days, but uh, they're doing better than Jesse Smollett. Who's going to score the first interview with Jesse Smollett? It'll be... Will it be... Was it Gail King? No, it was uh, Robin Roberts, who he lied to. He's like, why, why would, remember that Robin Roberts interview where she's like, why would anybody go after you, Jesse? You're so nice and so lovely and so honest and truthful. And I go hard at 45. He, he's one of those guys who won't say, wouldn't say President Trump, like, like whoopee, 45, you got him, 45 and, and Maxine Waters, impeach 45. Jesse Smith, I go hard at 45. And I think most of America was like, who the hell are you? What? I never, I never heard of this guy until he had himself beat up. But okay, you go hard at the president of the United States. You got actual people on TV making stuff up about him nonstop. But you, he's really, his fans are really upset about the uh, random supporting character on a TV show nobody watches. Yeah. The whole thing stunk to high heaven. He should have probably thought about it more thoroughly earlier in life, like done something crazy, like, I don't know, be better at his job if you wanted more money. What a crazy idea in this day and age. Now, just in keeping in mind, Jesse Smollett, ultimate victim. Ultimate victim. I mean, he's he's definitely, uh, he's the Michael Phelps in the woke Olympics, he's got more medals than just about anybody. But right behind him is the ladies on the view. The ladies on the view are upset, you see. Why? Well, because it's a day that ends in why, and that's what their job is. I don't understand why why anybody watches this garbage. How, you know, like Jesse Smollett said, uh, I am not suicidal. I think that if you're sitting there watching the view every day, that's a telltale sign. Just saying. Or you hate yourself. There's certainly some self-esteem issues there if you watch that garbage. But um, the ladies of The View were upset. Why? Because Kim Kardashian. Yes, Kim, not because Kim Kardashian is setting a bad example for girls, women, or whatever. No, she's long since past that. Uh, they love Kim Kardashian on an average day, but this time Kim Kardashian crossed the line. And this is what I mean when I say, by the way, that uh, your uh, liberals are not your friend. If you're not 100% with them on everything, you are their 100% enemy. Ronald Reagan famously said, my uh, my 80% friend is not my 20% enemy. It, it, 
I butchered it, but that's the gist of it. Whereas with Democrats, your 99.999% friend is your 100% enemy. If that 0.001% ever becomes an issue, if it ever comes up, if it's ever pointed out, then suddenly you have to turn on your friends, your family, whoever it is, you've got to go after them unless and until they completely acquiesce and come around, change their tune. Then maybe, just maybe you can let them be again. That's how the left works. Well, Kim Kardashian is a, a progressive liberal Democrat. I believe she at least attended, if not hosted a fundraiser for Hillary Clinton, things like that. She's doing all she can. But she also understands the value of hard work. She, yes, she launched to fame as uh, from a, a porn video, a homemade porn video. That's what she did. That's how you know her. Her father was Robert Kardashian, who was OJ's original lawyer, but he wasn't really, he's more like, he was not a, a criminal lawyer. But he sat there and pretended to be to maintain attorney client privilege and just bilk even more. But he was a very wealthy guy. And her mother is her business manager, which is relevant to what the uh, ladies in The View whine about. But I want you, they're doing a photo shoot. I thought that uh, Keeping Up With The Kardashians was ending, and now they're doing some other show because they're narcissists. But, I mean, what the hell do I know? They're, she, Kim Kardashian is worth a billion dollars. So congratulations. You know, I can, I'm just some guy saying she's a horrible narcissist. And meanwhile, she's going, yeah, uh, let me go count another $100 million off just for fun. Um, so during this photo shoot with her family, how women in business succeed came up and Kim had some thoughts. There's a bleep in here because Kim's thoughts tend to involve four letter words. But again, what the hell do I know? She, uh, she's worth a billion dollars and I am not. Now listen to this and see if you can figure out just in your head how it is that anybody can be upset by this the best advice for women in business get your ass up and work it seems like nobody wants to work these days you That's have to so true you have to surround yep. yourself with people that want to work have a good work environment where everyone loves what they do because you have one life no toxic work environments and show up and do the work show up and do the work now i'm not somebody who will sit there and give a kardashian an amen very often but i'll give a kardashian an amen right there amen Absolutely. That's exactly what you have to do. It doesn't matter if it's women in business. It's anybody in business and it's anybody in life. Most of the jobs that I've had, that I've enjoyed, that have advanced my career were not uh, done because somebody walked along and saw me busting a table and said, well, I bet you could do other things than that. Let me uh, let me sponsor you. I'm uh, I'm Jay Wellington Moneybags. Let me sponsor you as I uh, do it. No, that's not how it works. I actually got more jobs that I got. Let me think. Not every job that I get in my career. I'm talking about my career once I got out of college. I've had way more jobs. Nobody's like saw me roofing and said, hey, you should be a waiter. Although maybe by the way I roofed. But, uh, you know, in career jobs, I volunteered. I did work for free that led to other things. 
My first job out of college, I was at the Heritage Foundation in the bookstore. I was literally answering phone calls from old donors who didn't know how to work the Internet, who wanted to read the policy papers. They'd send out every month a list of papers. They'd mail them. They were, even, they were all online. But uh, they would mail all their donors, here's all the papers we put out. And they would highlight things. I would like backgrounder number 1728. I would like this. I would like that. And you'd have to write it all down and mail it to them. That was it. And they, they requested a book. You know, sometimes you'd, you, if it was a donor, you'd sell a book. Some people would call up and buy books and have to run their credit card. That was my job. It's an entry-level job. What I told them in the interview was I just wanted a foot in the door and I'd wrestle the rest of my body through on my own. And what I ended up doing was got to know some of the policy analysts who came into the bookstore because it was the repository of all the past research. And some people just like hard copies of things. So I'm sitting there and I got to know a couple of them. One guy was Steve Johnson who did South American policy. And another one was, I can't remember her name. She left pretty soon after, but she did education policy. And so I just started volunteering my time to do research for them. That was it. My time at work, I was you know, sitting there waiting for the phone to ring. There's not a, only so much alphabetizing you can do. So I'd sit there and do things, do work for them. And then I'd learned about you know, Lula da Silva and Brazil and, and South and Central American governments and things like that and education policy across the country back in 2002 that I, uh, I got you know, their favor. And then when a job came open in education research, it was education and health policy, I was the first candidate right there. Why? Because I'd already been doing the work. I One of the people that I'd be working with or working for was already familiar with my work and uh, was comfortable with me. So I got the job. Now, health policy ended up blowing up because of the prescription drug bill back then and it went the education policy went the way of the dodo but it was still one of those things where you're just like if i hadn't worked for free i would not have gotten out of that bookstore i'd have just been the guy in the bookstore i could theoretically still be sitting. i don't think they have a bookstore anymore but i theoretically could still be sitting there going la di da would you like fries with that if i hadn't gotten off my ass and said i've got to do some other things i got into radio and podcasting well, actually, somebody did sort of Krista, uh, Christine Brooks came by and told me that I was informed me that I was going to host the online show for the Heritage Foundation, which was nerve wracking. But uh, I decided to do it. It wasn't any extra pay either. It was just more work. And I'm like, all right, I'll do it. And eventually rolled down the hill to lead to this. So you have to do all sorts of things. You have to bust your ass. And in lots of ways that you're uncomfortable. And if anybody, if you ever know anybody talking about toxic work environment and toxic work people, you know anybody who says, that's not my job description, and isn't mocking somebody saying it's not in my job description, run away from them as quickly as possible. You don't want to be anywhere near those people. So, of course, that is what the ladies on The View are. Sunny Houston. Who's, I can't remember. I don't know if it's Houston or Houston or Houston or I don't, I don't even care. She is on The View. Why? God knows why. Nobody else can figure it out. She is a uh, a lawyer, and I can't find her family, their line, their their situation. She is listed as 
you know, so she's an attorney. She went to some fancy schools. I mean, maybe she was super duper smart. So, uh, Houston, Houston was born in 1968 in New York to a Puerto Rican mother and an African-American father. You can't find out much more. At least I haven't. She attended the all-girls Dominican Academy, which sounds to me like it's an elite. Yes. See, it's a Catholic college preparatory school for girls. Hmm. On the Upper East Side of Manhattan. She's bilingual in English and Spanish. She received a uh, Bachelor of English and Rhetoric from Birmingham or Binghamton University and her JD from Notre Dame School of Law. She's not, if she's going to a uh, college preparatory Catholic school in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I suspect that she comes from money. This is relevant because of what she says here about what you just heard Kim Kardashian say. Apparently, the concept of work upsets the ladies in the view, and this is what they had to say about it. It also helps She's to be born. Uh, it helps to be born rich, also, like she helps. was. I mean, she had a wealthy father. She had a mother who was a business manager. She's pretty. She's, that helps. She's pretty. Another asset. Um, and I, I just think that people that are born on third base shouldn't be talking about how easy it is to hit a home run. Yeah. Right. Uh, oh yeah, no, people should. Well, you know, there's no value to be learned from anybody who comes from money because it sounds like. You come from some money, Sonny. I don't know. You, you, you've managed to successfully hide your, what your parents do for a living. I'm still, I'll keep looking. Uh, maybe it's somewhere out there. But it, uh, you know, if you went to an elite private academy, a college preparatory academy on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, I don't think you spent your Sundays at the soup kitchen begging for a second bowl of gruel. I don't know, call me old-fashioned, but I don't believe that to have been the case. I just love these people. Like, you know, How dare anybody tell anybody to work hard? You don't understand. You're rich. Yeah, that's right. Actually, think about that for a second. Sonny and uh, Joy and all the other hags on The View. That show is the most toxic thing in, in, in the United States today. Think about that. Kim Kardashian doesn't have to work. She doesn't have to do anything. She was going to be fine. She wasn't going to be a billionaire, but she was never going to miss a meal. She was never going to miss a mortgage payment. She was fine. Her father was rich. Her father was rich. And so the fact that she does work, the fact that she does bust her ass kind of tells you something like, hey, wait a second. Maybe she knows. She knows something. She didn't take, you know, 999 million and turn it into a billion. She took probably 40 million and turned it into a billion. Nothing to sniff at. 40 million. You can live off of that. But she turned it into a billion, more than a billion now. She didn't do it because she's got a big butt and a porno tape that was made at home that, quite frankly, she wasn't known. The guy she was with was the celebrity at the time, a guy called Ray J. He was a rapper. Like, have you heard? He's on milk cartons now, and she's on everything. So it's one of those things where you're like, that's kind of a big deal. Kind of, you got to bust your ass. Sorry, Sonny. 
Sorry if that offends your sensibilities. You who might not have been born on third base, but I bet you were born with a significant lead off second. Just saying. There's a little bit of good news, not just, you know, that the ladies in the view or viewership is down. But the Major League Baseball lockout has been resolved. They've agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement. And I got to tell you, I'm a little bit embarrassed because, you know, they always say don't you shouldn't talk about things you don't know in the rain. I don't know anything about this strike or the, the lockout. I have no idea what it was about. I know that the minimum wage for players is going to go up and uh, like the salary cap that they don't really have, like the luxury. I don't even know how it's described. is going up so teams can spend more money, which means more for the players. At which point I'm wondering, like, what? It was a lockout, not a strike. It sounds to me, at least the things I know, were things that the the players would have wanted but didn't get or, you know, went to stri- on strike over, except it wasn't a strike. It was a lockout. Bizarre. I'm sure there are more. But there is good news because they're getting rid of that ridiculous extra innings, the guys on second rule. Extra. The baseball is so obsessed with speeding up the game. They want to speed up the game. They want to speed. Okay, speed up the game. Tell people to move their ass. Let's go. Let's do something. Let's do something. Hurry up. But you don't change the game to speed up the game. If you want the game to be faster, well, we're only going to do one out per inning. Like That would be stupid. It would speed up the game. You don't bastardize the game in order to speed it up. So I'm glad that they're getting rid of that stupid rule. Guy on second. What a joke. As for the rest of it, I don't know. All I know is baseball's coming back. That means summer's coming. And that's really all that matters, isn't it? So I do want to talk about what's going on in Ukraine a little bit. Not a lot. Um, but there are developments. It is the major story that's going on in the world, and thus far we've managed to avoid talking about it, which I think is, in any detail, which I think is a good thing because it's not accomplishing anything talking about it. But our vice president, I've said it before, we're going to have to bring in Barack Obama to go back on another apology tour, and it's just going to be to follow Kamala Harris. He can meet privately with the world leaders whom she's met with and then publicly apologize to the populations of these various countries going, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, What are you going to do? You know, she's on the ticket. We didn't really want her to win. We didn't really expect Joe to win, but okay, fine. Uh, Sorry. That can be Barack Obama's job in retirement. She's over in Poland standing next to the Polish president. And I want you to hear what she says. You're going to hear the well, you're going to hear the words that she says. You're not going to know what the hell she's talking about. She doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. But uh, that doesn't stop her from talking. And I just want to remind you before you hear this about the story we talked about the other day on Politico where, you know, this is Kamala's moment on the world stage. She's been studying it up. She has been really uh working hard to be up to snuff on what's going on. Politico wrote the other day, a person familiar with how the vice president's office preps for meetings with allies says that Harris wants to be briefed on specific asks that her counterparts may have and what deliverables the U.S. can provide. Her philosophy is that, quote, we should be delivering for our allies and our partners because, you know, We need to stand in the gap for them because one day, hopefully not any day soon, 
but we might need their help. So she's studied up. Keep that in mind. I want you to hear Kamala Harris studied up and fully briefed with all the power of this armed and operational space station called the Vice Presidency. This is what she's got. I am here, standing here on the northern flank, on the eastern flank, talking about what we have in terms of the eastern flank and our NATO allies, and what is at stake at this very moment. What is at stake this very moment are some of the guiding principles around the NATO alliance, and in particular, the issue and the importance of defending sovereignty and territorial integrity, in this case of Ukraine. <laughs> I'm here on the northern flag, on the northern, uh, the eastern, where, where the hell are we? I don't have a compass. Where, where, I'm here wherever we are, and where we are is here. And I just want to say that while we're here, we're here together, and our alliances are strong in Poland with NATO, and we're looking out for Ukraine, which is not a member of NATO, which we are not going to defend because it's not a member of NATO, and we're not going to defend it. Don't you feel good? Now, if you're Poland sitting there going, how the hell did we get a reputation, the, the sullied reputation that we got? This is what the United States produces? This is the best, the second best that the Democratic Party could come up with? Honestly? Really? This was it? <laughs> we're here on the east, west, north. We're at one of the points in the compass. I'm not really sure where we are. Uh, Madam, Madam Vice President, we're on Air Force Two. We're actually flying back home. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, but don't worry. They're on the case, whatever that case may be. What the case of the White House is most concerned about right now is blaming somebody else, namely Vladimir Putin, for gas prices. When you go and fill up your tank and uh, you go, my God, look at that giant number. Shake your fist toward Vladimir Putin, not Joe Biden, because Vladimir Putin is directly responsible for about maybe 20 percent of the uh, added cost of filling up your tank. The rest of it was already there. It was Biden's incompetence. But still, they want you to think that it is all somebody else's fault. That is the theme of this presidency. I have a montage here of the president of the United States blaming pretty much everybody else for gas prices. Everybody, It's somebody else's fault. It is. This will be known as the presidency. As, as, I wasn't even in town that month, presidency. I, would, I don't even know what you're doing. What are you blaming me for? I wasn't even in town that month. It's a little bit long, but it's worth listening to because you need to be reminded. Just like they said, oh, inflation is going to be transitory. Very short term. Oh, wait, no, inflation is going to be here for a while. Things are costing more because of those greedy farmers. Yeah, you know, everybody knows that those farmers are just rolling fat cats, just like the Wall Street buddies of the Democrats. They just, they use $1,000 bills to roll up to snort their cocaine. They don't even mess with the $100 bills. Those they use for toilet paper. That's how rich and how well-off farmers are. Yeah, they blamed everybody for inflation except for their horrible spending policies, which were responsible. Now here's the president blaming everybody on the planet for gas prices except for him. 
Gas prices already the highest in U.S. history. Uh, the national average $4.23 a gallon tonight. I'm going to work like the devil to bring gas prices down. The significant reason why prices are up is because of COVID affecting the supply chain. He's going to do everything we can, everything he can, to reduce the impact on the American people, including uh, the price of gas at the tank. Gas supply companies are paying less and making a lot more. He's suggesting that the industry's outsized profits and returns to shareholders are to blame for what he calls an unexplained gap as consumer prices rise. Take a look at uh, oil prices. Uh, that is a consequence of, thus far, the refusal of, uh, of uh, Russia or, uh, or the OPEC nations to uh, pump more oil. And that's because of the supply being withheld by OPEC. The increase in the anticipated continued increase, which is, I think, what some of your colleagues were asking about, that that is a, a direct result of uh, the invasion of Ukraine. It's going to go up. <laughs> Can't do much right now. Russia's responsible. Russia's responsible. Can't do much right now. Russia's responsible. President, I wasn't even in town that month, Joe Biden. It's amazing. It's amazing. I can do it. I am gonna. I'm gonna defeat the virus. I'm gonna shut down the virus. Not you. Oh, uh, you haven't shut down the virus. You shut down that. No, no, no. It's the virus's fault. It's uh, somebody else's fault. It's no, no, no. Gas prices. Donald Trump is responsible for gas. Pre now I'm president for a year and a half. Uh, no, the pre look. The president can't do anything about gas prices. Everybody knows that. What? Now, I want you to hear this next clip. This is from MSNBC. This is, a, this is another long clip. But there, there's, like, no natural moment to cut it because it is a, an endless death spiral of stupid. It is an endless... You've already got... It starts off with uh, Stephanie Rule, the dumbest person on cable news. And then it goes to Yamish Alcindor, the dumbest person in all of news. And she... at. She is, uh, she makes it her job. She works for NPR, so we're paying her salary. She makes it her job to defend Democrats in every way, shape, or form. She particularly loves Kamala Harris, although she doesn't get to Kamala Harris here. She protects Joe Biden here. And at the end, she says one of the dumbest things. It, it, when I was a kid, it was always like, no, duh. It was a, a polite, a kid way of saying no s, Sherlock. Uh, no duh. She has one of the 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 most no duh moments of my lifetime at the end of this, and you think this woman is writing her autobiography because who in the hell wants to, who wants to read about her life? No one, no one. But then you realize the book industry is nothing but a payoff money laundering scam for liberals. But that's beside the point. Listen to this. This is actual discussion from MSNBC of people worried that the president might get blamed for gas prices. Yamish, Biden is taking a huge domestic political risk with this Russian oil ban, even though right now he's getting support from Democrats and Republicans. You know as well as I do, as soon as gas prices go up and inflation gets worse as a result, you are going to see those same Republicans blame Biden and use it in the midterms. Well, Stephanie, you make such a smart point there because though President Biden, after a groundswell of bipartisan pressure, took the historic step of banning Russian 
oil imports into the United States, there is really this political um, risk that he was taking because right now, as you said, Republicans and Democrats, they got on the same page. So they were even talking about a framework for doing this through Congress to ban oil imports. Um, but Democratic Democratic Senator Chris Murphy, um, he has said the moment that he believed, the moment that gas prices start to surge even more, he believes that Republicans are going to be using this against the president. And I should tell you already, we've heard from House Speaker um, Kevin, or House Minority Leader, rather, Kevin McCarthy, um, who has said that while President Biden is trying to bring Russia and world events for the historic gas prices, this is really, he said, um, bad policy. So you already hear Republicans doing what Democrats fear they're doing, which is that they're just blaming Democratic policies, blaming President Biden himself, saying that he's the reason why all this is happening. Of course, President Biden has been warning Americans now for weeks that the cost of defending Ukrainian sovereignty and the cost of defending freedom was going to hit Americans in their pocketbooks. And it's clear and important to note that President Biden was saying he's taking this step because Russia's actions are already hurting American families, he said. So this is really the president saying it's going to get even worse here domestically. But in the midterms, when you think about what people are really thinking about as they go to their ballot boxes, it's going to be everyday issues, the cost of living, trying to survive. Um, that's going to be top of mind for people based on my reporting. <laughs> uh, when people go to, I told you it was a long word sound, but when people go to vote, the uh, cost of living is going to be top of mind for voters. That's what my reporting has. Oh, really? You think your your extensive reporting, you need, Yamish, your you know your award winning career, you've discovered that what makes people's lives miserable is uh, what they vote on, and if it makes their somebody makes their life better, they vote for them. Is that what it is? My God, and we're paying her six figures at least as taxpayers. NPR doesn't doesn't isn't cheap on the uh, the paying of it because they just get more tax money. And then MSNBC and NBC News is paying her because why not? She's making more than you are for that sort of analysis, that sort of word salad. Where at the end, my research has shown that if. If uh, things are bad, people tend to vote against an incumbent, whereas if things are good, people will tend to want to keep that incumbent in office. Well, hey, you, you come up with that all on your own, Yamish? Congratulations. As for the rest of what she said, it's garbage. Republicans are going to I'm afraid that Republicans are going to start saying mean things about Joe Biden. Yeah, I'm afraid that those Nazi fascist, racist, homophobic, Islamophobic, uh, anti-American, Jim Crow 2.0 loving Republicans are going to try to say negative things about Joe Biden and other Democrats when it comes to the gas prices. I'm afraid that those neo-Nazi jerk communist monsters who would love to kill you if they had the chance are going to take a page out of what Democrats did back in 2018 when gas prices went up, not nearly as much as they are now, and try to say that the President of the United States is to blame for it. Only this time it'll be different because it's a Democrat president, and we can't have that. Yeah, that's that's National Public Radio right there. That's That's PBS. She's on both. She's on television, ladies and gentlemen. She's making, eh, I think she got like a half million dollars for her her memoirs. I also think she's like 31 years old. So what memoirs could she have? <laughs> what what here's how I accomplished 
all this stuff. I don't know. I showed up and was stupid on TV, but I said the right things as somebody was stupid. My default position was stupid and correct in line with the left, and uh, I made a fortune. There you go. Congratulations, right? Uh, it's a bit of political correctness here to get ready for the the uh, the let you go. The Washington, the White House Correspondents Association is the group that has the White House Correspondents Dinner every year. They're all the reporters. If you're a member of the White House Press Corps, you're probably a member of the White House. Your organization, your employer is probably a member of the White House Correspondents Association. And there are few. Actually, I don't think there are any professions that award themselves more different things than journalism. They Hollywood is a close second, but I think journalism gives out more awards. That's why every journalist out there, every left-wing journalist is, I'm an award-winning journalist. Like, yeah, because there are six trillion awards. You just celebrate yourselves the way narcissists could never have imagined. Well, there was an award named after a guy named Merriman Smith. Merriman Smith was a White House reporter covering presidents from 1941 to 1970. And they had the Merriman Smith Award for covering breaking news, right, under a deadline. He apparently won the Pulitzer Prize for his coverage of the JFK assassination. And that's where he made his name or whatever. At least that's a story according to the Washington Post. Well, for 50 years, they honored this guy with an award named after him to somebody who really sort of worked under a deadline. Now, no more. It turns out that Merriman Smith, while he was the head of the, he was twice the head of the White House Correspondents Association, that at the time he reflected the times. Yes, they apparently, this horrible racist organization, the White House Correspondents Association, uh, had a ban on black reporters and on women. And as president, he didn't address it. Well, why wouldn't he address it? Because why would he think about it? Why would he think about it? It was of the times. Okay, we look back and go, that's terrible, that's terrible, that's terrible. In the time, it was just how it was. But they've stripped his name. Now it'll be the White House Correspondents Association Award for Excellence in Presidential News Coverage Under Deadline Pressure. Which actually sounds incredibly Soviet, if you're familiar at all with the old Soviet Union and how they... <laughs> named things but this is the white house correspondence association this is how awful these people are this is what they are they're going back over time i have no doubt that uh, merriman smith was uh, probably had some racism and some sexism in him i don't know the guy he's long since dead but i'd say he had no more no less than most people alive at that time and joe biden who was alive at that time and joe biden still has at this time are we going to kick out to the uh, not invite the president of the United States to the White House Correspondents Association dinner? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Joe Biden says racist stuff all the time, all the time. And they're going, oh, no, no, it's horrible. It's horrible. I want to tell you this story because I think I love it. I love it. Right this weekend, Democrats are doing a retreat up in Philadelphia, right? And uh, it is all the congressional Democrats. They're having a performance by a drag queen. Nothing could be more Democrat Party than having a performance by a drag queen. 
The uh, Washington Free Beacon has a story. This drag queen's a little bit special. Says the drag queen invited to perform for congressional Democrats during their policy retreat uh, referred to President Joe Biden as senile and a white supremacist and called his voters, quote, dim-witted. Lady Bunny, that's the name of it. Lady Bunny, an iconic drag queen scheduled to perform uh, during the Democratic retreat in Philadelphia, had spent much of the last year criticizing virtually every aspect of Biden's agenda and some congressional Democrats as well. On February 19th, for example, Lady Bunny said Biden's, quote, word, especially on foreign policy, is worth nothing. <laughs> on April 26, 2021, Bunny called Biden a, quote, senile conservative who has been, quote, accused by eight women of sexual misconduct. Only someone in a cult would bother supporting him, Bunny wrote. Now, they're sitting there going, is this the, con did you find the conservative? Did the Democrats hire the conservative drag queen to go out? No, you can tell by the uh, calling him a senile conservative that you're dealing with somebody who is uh, probably still to the right of AOC, but close to AOC out there, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She probably recommended Lady Bunny. So, yeah, even in their entertainment, they go crazy. Now, these are all adults. These are all, well, who the hell sits around and goes, A, first of all, we're professionals. We need entertainment, though. Well, taxpayers need to pony up for our entertainment, I assume, since it's an official, well, maybe the party does. Doesn't matter. But they got to, somebody's got to entertain us. We're completely incapable of entertaining ourselves, we 222 Democrats or whatever it is, we couldn't possibly be expected to entertain ourselves or even work over the course of a couple of day conference. We need some entertainment. And who the hell's on the entertainment committee that they go, you know what? We can get a band. We can get a DJ. We could, yeah, I don't know. No, let's get a drag queen. I don't know what a drag queen does as part of their entertainment, but uh, there you go. Like, if it's a singer, why couldn't you just get a singer? If it's a whatever, why couldn't you just get a whatever? No, 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 it's a drag queen. It's a drag queen. There you go. So you just stand there and drag? Is that the entertainment? This is your Democratic Party. As we get ready to end it, I, I got to play you some audio where I have some sympathy. Some sympathy. Not a lot. Because it's, it's their monster. Some sympathy for Ginger Goebbels and the Democrats in the White House. And it just illustrates that, yes, of course, we all know that uh, reporters are in the tank for the Democrats, but even that doesn't save Democrats from stupidity from reporters. That not completely. It oftentimes does. It works as a repellent for the stupidity, but... Um, it doesn't always work. Caitlin Collins is a White House correspondent for the Cable News Network. She, uh, I knew her a little bit when she worked at the Daily Caller. I was never impressed. But uh, she asked this question. Now, we have three clips here because she takes three bites at this apple. It's a dumb question. Maybe you ask it once. Maybe you could justify asking it once. But it's a hypothetical question, and nobody worth their weight in excrement is going to bother answering hypothetical situations. It's wildly stupid to answer hypothetical situations if you're in politics because you're creating a story where there is none. 
Caitlin Collins keeps going back and it's this idea of a red line. Is there a red line? What if, what if they use chemical weapons? Well, first of all, we're not going to tell you anything. Anyway, let's just listen to the first clip, the first bite at this apple here. And you can see, get a better sense of what I'm talking about. Jen, I just want to be totally clear. Are you saying if Russia does conduct a chemical weapons attack in Ukraine, there will not be a military response from the United States? I'm not going to get into hypotheticals. What we're saying right now is they have the capacity and the capabilities. I'm also not going to get into intelligence. But the president's intention of sending U.S. military to fight in Ukraine against Russia has not changed. Okay. Hypothetical. What if if they nuke all of Ukraine? What if they... uh... What if they secretly were like Ultron and underneath all of Ukraine, they had uh, this rocket that would lift all of Ukraine up into space and then smash it back down uh, like a big meteor? Would would then the president do something about it? It seems like Caitlin Collins has a bet with somebody at CNN going, I bet you, uh, I bet you can't get them to say uh, any under any circumstances, they'll commit U.S. troops to it. That's the only reason to keep going back. First of all, it's the only reason to ask such a stupid question to begin with. Nobody's going to answer a hypothetical situation. What if, what if Vladimir Putin walks out down the street of Kiev and just randomly executes every civilian that he sees? Would, would then the president challenge him to a duel? What a stupid question. She uh, doesn't see it as a stupid question. She, in fact, sees it as a very important question. And so she asks it again. But that sounds like even if there is a chemical weapons attack, that calculus will not change. So I just want to be clear on what the U.S. response would be. Again, there has not been a chemical weapons attack. We are conveying to all of you what the capacity and the capabilities of Russia are, uh, what steps they have taken in the past. Let's hope we are not having a discussion about that. But the president and our NATO partners have not changed their assessment about their plans to send U.S. troops in. Now it comes to the point of the, yeah, but still. Yeah, but we're not going to play hypothetical games. We're not going to tell you this stupid thing. It's wildly stupid, and I've got to give the, the Biden administration credit for recognizing how wildly stupid it is to play this sort of game where you go, well, what, well hypothetically, if they used chemical weapons, then we definitely would do this, uh, that, or the other thing. You want your opponents, you want your enemies to not know how you're going to react. You want them to be afraid of how you're going to react. So you don't want to give them anything. You don't want to tell them I'm going full-blown Tasmanian devil. I want to destroy them all, kill them all. You don't want that to be known. And you don't want them to know that, you know what, I I would uh, I would send a sternly worded letter. But that would be about it. I wouldn't, wouldn't lose a whole lot of sleep over it. You don't want either of those things known or anything in between. You want them guessing because they'll oftentimes guess the worst and sometimes even worse than you your actual worst would be. And that prevents them from acting in the first place, which is a good thing if you're trying to stop evil. Caitlin Collins doesn't get this. Caitlin Collins doesn't care. Caitlin Collins is not interested. She's trying to, she's going to go back for a third bite at this apple. You imagine going, yeah, but still, yeah, but still, I know you said this, but yeah, but still, yeah, but still, here's her yeah, but still. Would President Biden let a chemical weapons attack in Ukraine go unanswered by the United States? We have not let anything go unanswered that uh, President Putin has done to date. We have not let anything go unanswered to date, any steps that President Putin has taken to date. What that would look like, I can't give you an assessment of that from here at this point. (laughs) 
but 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 won't you would you so you're saying you wouldn't so you're saying you will will you or won't you which is it what's going on why won't you answer my question well because what you're doing if we were to answer the question would really help our enemies I understand that CNN's natural position is to side with our enemies over us. I get it. But I think you've forgotten, Caitlin, that there's a Democrat in the White House. It's no longer the Trump administration. I understand that you made your bones there. You used to be a conservative, and now you're a, a Democrat in good standing because you like the job at CNN. You like being on TV, and somebody of your limited capacity can't really, you know you're not going to make it in medical school. Let's just put it that way. So professional journalism is right up the alley, right up your alley for you. But we're not going to answer this question. Stop being stupid. Pretty simple. Words to live by for everybody. They come to a fork in the road. Don't take the stupid path. That would be a good good way to go. But of course, the stupid path does lead you right to... CNN. It does lead you right to a nice contract, I imagine. So maybe be a little stupid or whatever. But it's nice to see a Democrat having to deal with these stupid questions. Yeah, but what about if what about if uh, Vladimir Putin brought 300 elephants to Kiev and then startled them, causing them to rampage through the uh, the cities and trample people. Would that be a cause for the U.S. to then get involved? If he released a whole bunch of Siberian tigers that were hungry but still not malnourished on the people of Ukraine, would that be enough? Like, Well, you know, we could go and play this hypothetical game to the nth degree if you wanted to. But uh, it's stupid, and it doesn't change the fact that I'm not going to play a hypothetical game. Ginger Goebbels did one thing right this week. One thing, and that was it. To look at Caitlin Collins and kind of go, my God, you're stupid. How did you get this job? <laughs> How did you get this job? It ain't the brains, ladies and gentlemen. It ain't the brains. That much I can assure you. All right, that is enough for today, ladies and gentlemen. Let's start this week. We had a bunch of snow this weekend. I'll talk more about that tomorrow. But I'm joined by Quinny to announce the Winnie of the drawing. Can you say the name? Colleen. Colleen. Say, Colleen, you won. Colleen, I won. No, no. Colleen, you won. Say, you won. I won. All right, you won, and Colleen, you both won. But you don't get anything. And Colleen has chosen, she said, my, oh my goodness, I love both John Cleese and Ben Carson. And thank God for both of them. Do I have to pick one? Okay, you said so. My choice is purely a numbers game. I never win anything. Colleen, Colleen, Colleen. Quinny, you don't have to make noise in the background. The suspense is gone. She picks Ben Carson. Congratulations, Colleen. You've got a message from me through Patreon of uh, giving, asking me for asking you for your address so I can send you the signed Ben and Candy Carson book. That means John Cleese is still up for grabs, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Monty Python still up for grabs. This week's contest is between John Cleese and Matt Walsh, uh, the Daily Wire's Matt Walsh, his last book 
was Church of Cowards, A Wake-Up Call to Complacent Christians. And I have a signed copy of it with your name, well, actually nobody's name on it, autographed when he came in to uh, be interviewed a long time, a couple years, not a long time ago, like two years ago. So go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. Look for the picture of John Cleese and Matt Walsh. Choose your battle, choose your fighter in the comment section. And then uh, wait a week and see who wins. There can only be one. Just like the highlights. Appreciate you listening. Get ready for another crazy week. 